Chapter Twenty Three of the Scottish Fairy Book by Elizabeth W. Grierson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Assapaddle and the Mester Stirworm. In far bygone days in the north, there lived a well-to-do farmer who had seven sons and one daughter, and the youngest of these seven sons bore a very curious name, for men called him Assapaddle, which means he who grovels among the ashes. Perhaps Assapaddle deserved his name, for he was rather a lazy boy who never did any work on the farm as his brothers did, but ran about the doors with ragged clothes and unkempt hair, and whose mind was ever filled with wondrous stories of trolls and giants, elves and goblins. When the sun was hot in the long summer afternoons, when the bees droned drowsily and even the tiny insects seemed almost asleep, the boy was content to throw himself down on the ash heap amongst the ashes and lie there, lazily letting them run through his fingers, as one might play with sand on the seashore, basking in the sunshine and telling stories to himself. And his brothers, working hard in the fields, would point to him with mocking fingers and laugh and say to each other how well the name suited him, and of how little use he was in the world. And when they came home from their work, they would push him about and tease him, and even his mother would make him sweep the floor, and draw water from the well, and fetch peats from the peat stack, and do all the little odd jobs that nobody else would do. So poor Assapaddle had rather a hard life of it, and he would often have been very miserable, had it not been for his sister, who loved him dearly, and who would listen quite patiently to all the stories that he had to tell, who never laughed at him or told him that he was telling lies as his brothers did. But one day a very sad thing happened. At least it was a sad thing for poor Assapaddle. For it chanced that the king of these parts had one only daughter, the princess Jem de Lovely, whom he loved dearly, and to whom he denied nothing. And Princess Jem de Lovely was in want of a waiting-maid, and as she had seen Assapaddle's sister, standing by the garden gate as she was riding by one day, and had taken a fancy to her, she asked her father if she might ask her to come and live at the castle and serve her. Her father agreed at once, as he always did agree to any of her wishes, and sent a messenger in haste to the farmer's house to ask if his daughter would come to the castle to be the princess's waiting-maid. And, of course, the farmer was very pleased at the piece of good fortune which had befallen the girl, and so was her mother, and so were her six brothers, all except poor Assapaddle, who looked with wistful eyes after his sister as she rode away, proud of her new clothes and of the rivlins which her father had made her out of cowhide which she was to wear in the palace when she waited on the princess, for at home she always ran barefoot. Time passed, and one day a rider rode in hot haste through the country, bearing the most terrible tidings. For the evening before, some fishermen, out in their boats, had caught sight of the Mester Stirworm, which, as everyone knows, was the largest and the first and the greatest of all sea-serpents. It was that beast which, in the good book, is called the Leviathan, and if it had been measured in our day, its tail would have touched Iceland, while its snout rested on the North Cape. 
and the fishermen had noticed that this fearsome monster had its head turned towards the mainland, and that it opened its mouth and yawned horribly, as if to show that it was hungry, and that if it were not fed it would kill every living thing upon the land, both man and beast, bird and creeping thing. For twas well known that its breath was so poisonous that it consumed as with a burning fire everything that it lighted on, so that, if it pleased the awful creature to lift its head and put forth its breath like noxious vapor over the country, in a few weeks the fair land would be turned into a region of desolation. As you may imagine, everyone was almost paralyzed with terror at this awful calamity which threatened them, and the king called a solemn meeting of all his counselors, and asked them if they could devise any way of warding off the danger. And for three whole days they sat in council, these grave-bearded men, and many were the suggestions which were made, and many the words of wisdom which were spoken. But alas, no one was wise enough to think of a way by which the Mester Storeworm might be driven back. At last, at the end of the third day, when everyone had given up hope of finding a remedy, the door of the council chamber opened, and the queen appeared. Now the queen was the king's second wife, and she was not a favorite in the kingdom, for she was a proud, insolent woman, who did not behave kindly to her stepdaughter, the Princess Jem de Lovely, and who spent much more of her time in the company of a great sorcerer, whom everyone feared and dreaded, than she did in that of the king, her husband. So the sober counsellors looked at her disapprovingly as she came boldly into the council chamber, and stood up beside the king's chair of state and speaking in a loud, clear voice, addressed them thus, "'Ye think that ye are brave men and strong, O ye elders, and fit to be the protectors of the people, and so it may be, when it is mortals that ye are called on to face, that ye be no match for the foe that now threatens our land. Before him your weapons be but as straw. Tis not through strength of arm, but through sorcery that he will be overcome.' So listen to my words, even though they be but those of a woman, and take counsel with a great sorcerer, from whom nothing is hid, but who knoweth all the mysteries of the earth, and of the air, and of the sea. Now the king and his counsellors liked not this advice, for they hated the sorcerer, who had, as they thought, too much influence with the queen. But they were at their wits' end, and knew not to whom to turn for help so they were fain to do as she said, and summon the wizard before them. And when he obeyed the summons and appeared in their midst, they liked him none the better for his looks. For he was long and thin and awesome, with a beard that came down to his knee, and hair that wrapped him about like a mantle, and his face was the color of mortar, as if he had always lived in darkness, and had been afraid to look on the sun." but there was no help to be found in any other man, so they laid the case before him, and asked him what they should do. And he answered coldly that he would think over the matter, and come again to the assembly the following day, and give them his advice. And his advice, when they heard it, was like to turn their hair white with horror, for he said that the only way to satisfy the monster, and to make it spare the land, was to feed it every Saturday with seven young maidens who must be the fairest who could be found. And if, after this remedy had been tried once or twice, 
It did not succeed in mollifying the storeworm and inducing them to depart. There was but one other measure that he could suggest, but that was so horrible and dreadful that he would not rend their hearts by mentioning it in the meantime. And as, although they hated him, they feared him also, the council had Iento abide by his words and pronounced the awful doom. And so it came about that every Saturday seven bonny innocent maidens were bound hand and foot and laid on a rock which ran into the sea and the monster stretched out his long jagged tongue and swept them into his mouth while all the rest of the folk looked on from the top of a high hill or at least the men looked with cold set faces while the women hid theirs in their aprons and wept aloud is there no other way they cried no other way than this to save the land but the men only groaned and shook their heads no other way they answered no other way then suddenly a boy's indignant voice rang out among the crowd is there no grown man who would fight that monster and kill him and save the lassies alive i would do it i am not feared for the mester storeworm it was the boy Assapaddle who spoke and everyone looked at him in amazement as he stood, staring at the great sea-serpent, his fingers twitching with rage and his great blue eyes, glowing with pity and indignation. "'The poor baron's mad! The sight hath turned his head!' they whispered to one another, and they would have crowded round him to pet and comfort him, but his elder brother came and gave him a heavy clout on the side of his head. "'Thou fight the storeworm!' he cried contemptuously. "'A likely story!' go home to the ash-pit and stop speaking havers and taking his arm he drew him to the place where his other brothers were waiting and they all went home together but all the time assapaddle kept on saying that he meant to kill the storeworm and at last his brothers became so angry at what they thought was mere bragging that they picked up stones and pelted him so hard with them that at last he took to his heels and ran away from them that evening the six brothers were threshing corn in the barn, and Assapaddle, as usual, was lying among the ashes thinking his own thoughts, when his mother came out and bade him run and tell the others to come in for their supper. The boy did as he was bid, for he was a willing enough little fellow, but when he entered the barn, his brothers, in revenge for his having run away from them in the afternoon, set on him and pulled him down and piled so much straw on top of him that had his father not come from the house to see what they were all waiting for he would of a surety have been smothered but when at supper-time his mother was quarrelling with the other lads for what they had done and saying to them that it was only cowards who set on barons littler and younger than themselves assapaddle looked up from the bicker of porridge which he was supping vex not thyself mother he said for i could have fought them all off if i liked ay and beaten them too why didst thou not assay it then cried everybody at once because i knew that i would need all my strength when i go to fight the giant storeworm replied assapaddle gravely and as you may fancy the others laughed louder than before time passed and every saturday seven lassies were thrown to the storeworm until at last it was felt that this state of things could not be allowed to go on any longer, for if it did, there would soon be no maidens at all left in the country. So the elders met once more, 
and after long consultation it was agreed that the sorcerer should be summoned and asked what his other remedy was for by our troth said they it cannot be worse than that which we are practising now but had they known it the new remedy was even more dreadful than the old for the cruel queen hated her stepdaughter jem de lovely and the wicked sorcerer knew that she did and that she would not be sorry to get rid of her and things being as they were he thought that he saw a way to please the queen so he stood up in the council and pretending to be very sorry said that the only other thing that could be done was to give the princess jem de lovely to the store-worm then would it of a surety depart when they heard this sentence a terrible stillness fell upon the council and every one covered his face with his hands for no man dare look at the king but although his dear daughter was as the apple of his eye he was a just and righteous monarch and he felt that it was not right that other fathers should have been forced to part with their daughters in order to try and save the country if his child was to be spared so after he had had speech with the princess he stood up before the elders and declared with trembling voice that both he and she were ready to make the sacrifice she is my only child he said and the last of her race yet it seemeth good to both of us that she should lay down her life if by doing so she may save the land that she loves so well salt tears ran down the faces of the great bearded men as they heard their king's words for they all knew how dear the princess jem de lovely was to him but it was felt that what he said was wise and true and that the thing was just and right for twere better surely that one maiden should die even although she were of royal blood than that bands of other maidens should go to their death week by week and all to no purpose so amid heavy sobs the aged lawman he who was the chief man of the council rose up to pronounce the princess's doom but ere he did so the king's kemper or fighting man stepped forward nature teaches us that it is fitten that each beast hath a tail he said and this doom which our lawman is about to pronounce is in very sooth a venomous beast and if i had my way the tale which it would bear after it is this that if the mister storeworm doth not depart and that right speedily after he have devoured the princess the next thing that is offered to him be no tender young maiden but that tough lean old sorcerer and at his words there was such a great shout of approval that the wicked sorcerer seemed to shrink within himself and his pale face grew paler than it was before now three weeks were allowed between the time that the doom was pronounced upon the princess and the time that it was carried out so that the king might send ambassadors to all the neighboring kingdoms to issue proclamation that if any champion would come forward who was able to drive away the store-worm and save the princess he should have her for his wife and with her he should have the kingdom as well as a very famous sword that was now in the king's possession but which had belonged to the great god odin with which he had fought and vanquished all his foes the sword bore the name of sicker snapper and no man had any power against it the news of all these things spread over the length and breadth of the land 
and every one mourned for the fate that was like to befall the princess Jem de Lovely. And the farmer and his wife and their six sons mourned also, all but Asipaddle, who sat amongst the ashes, and said nothing. So six-and-thirty champions arrived at the king's palace, each hoping to gain the prize. But the king sent them all out to look at the giant store-worm lying in the sea, with its enormous mouth open, and when they saw it twelve of them were seized with sudden illness, and twelve of them were so afraid that they took to their heels and ran, and never stopped till they reached their own countries, and so only twelve returned to the king's palace. And as for them, they were so downcast at the thought of the task that they had undertaken that they had no spirit left in them at all, and none of them dared try to kill the store-worm, so the three weeks passed slowly by, until the night before the day on which the princess was to be sacrificed. On that night the king, feeling that he must do something to entertain his guests, made a great supper for them. But, as you may think, it was a dreary feast, for everyone was thinking so much about the terrible thing that was to happen on the morrow that no one could eat or drink. And when it was all over and everybody had retired to rest, save the king and his old Kemperman, the king returned to the great hall and went slowly up to his chair of state, high up on the dais. It was not like the chairs of state that we know nowadays. It was nothing but a massive kist in which he kept all the things which he treasured most. The old monarch undid the iron bolts with trembling fingers and lifted the lid, and took out the wondrous sword Sickersnapper, which had belonged to the great god Odin. His trusty Kemperman, who had stood by him in a hundred fights, watched him with pitying eyes. "'Why lift ye out the sword?' he said softly, "'when thy fightin' days are done. Right nobly hast thou fought thy battles in the past, O my lord, when thine arm was strong and sure. But when folks' years number fourscore and sixteen, as thine do, tis time to leave such work to other and younger men.' The old king turned on him angrily, with something of the old fire in his eyes. Whist, he cried, else will I turn this sword on thee. Dost thou think that I can see my only bairn devoured by a monster, and not lift a finger to try and save her when no other man will? I tell thee, and I will swear it with my two thumbs crossed on Sickersnapper, that both the sword and I will be destroyed before so much as one of her hairs be touched. So go, and thou love me, my old comrade, and order my boat to be ready with the sail set and the prow pointed out to sea. I will go myself and fight the store-worm, and if I do not return I will lay it on thee to guard my cherished daughter. Peradventure my life may redeem hers. Now that night everybody at the farm went to bed betimes, for next morning the whole family was to set out early to go to the top of the hill near the sea, to see the princess eaten by the store-worm, all except Asipaddle, who was to be left at home to herd the geese. The lad was so vexed at this, for he had great schemes in his head, that he could not sleep, and as he lay tossing and tumbling about in his corner among the ashes, he heard his father and mother talking in the great box-bed, and as he listened he found that they were having an argument. "'Tis such a long way to the hill overlooking the sea, I fear me I shall never walk it, said his mother. I think I had better bide at home. Nay, replied her husband, 
That would be a bonny-like thing when all the countryside is to be there. Thou shalt ride behind me on my good mare go swift. I do not care to trouble thee to take me behind thee, said his wife, for methinks thou dost not love me as thou wert wont to do. The woman's haverin, cried the good man of the house impatiently. What makes thee think that I have ceased to love thee? Because thou wilt no longer tell me thy secrets, answered his wife. To go no further, think of this very horse, go swift. For five long years I've been begging thee to tell me how it is that, when thou ridest her, she flies faster than the wind, while if any other man mount her, she hurples along like a broken-down nag. The good man laughed. "'Twas not for a lack of love, good wife, he said, though it might be lack of trust, for women's tongues wag but loosely, and I did not want other folk to ken my secret. But since my silence hath vexed thy heart, I will e'en tell it thee. When I want go swift to stand, I give her one clap on the left shoulder. When I would have her go like any other horse, I give her two claps on the right. But when I want her to fly like the wind, I whistle through the windpipe of a goose. And as I never can when I want her to gallop like that, I aye keep the bird's thrapple in the left-hand pocket of my coat." "'So that is how thou managest the beast,' said the farmer's wife, in a satisfied tone. "'And that is what becomes of all my goose thrapples. "'Oh, but thou art a clever fellow, good man, "'and now that I ken the way of it, I may go to sleep.' Asapaddle was not tumbling about in the ashes now. "'He was sitting up in the darkness with glowing cheeks and sparkling eyes. "'His opportunity had come at last, and he knew it. "'He waited patiently till their heavy breathing told him, that his parents were asleep. Then he crept over to where his father's clothes were, and took the goose's windpipe out of the pocket of his coat, and slipped noiselessly out of the house. Once he was out of it, he ran like lightning to the stable. He saddled and bridled Go Swift, and threw a halter round her neck, and led her to the stable door. The good mare, unaccustomed to her new groom, pranced and reared and plunged, but Asapaddle, knowing his father's secret, clapped her once on the left shoulder, and she stood as still as a stone. Then he mounted her and gave her two claps on the right shoulder, and the good horse trotted off briskly, giving a loud neigh as she did so. The unwanted sound ringing out in the stillness of the night roused the household, and the good man and his six sons came tumbling down the wooden stairs, shouting to one another in confusion that someone was stealing Go Swift. The farmer was the first to reach the door, and when he saw in the starlight the vanishing form of his favorite steed, he cried at the top of his voice, "'Stop, thief! Ho! Go swift! Whoa!' And when Go swift heard that, she pulled up in a moment. All seemed lost, for the farmer and his sons could run very fast indeed, and it seemed to Asapaddle, sitting motionless on Go swift's back, that they would very soon make up on him." But luckily he remembered the goose's thrapple, and he pulled it out of his pocket and whistled through it. In an instant the good mare bounded forward, swift as the wind, and was over the hill and out of reach of its pursuers, before they had taken ten steps more. Day was dawning when the lad came within sight of the sea, and there in front of him in the water lay the enormous monster whom he had come so far to slay. Anyone would have said that he was mad even to dream of making such an attempt, for he was but a slim, unarmed youth, 
and the mester storeworm was so big that men said it would reach the fourth part round the world and its tongue was jagged at the end like a fork and with this fork it could sweep whatever it chose into its mouth and devour it at its leisure for all this assapaddle was not afraid for he had the heart of a hero underneath his tattered garments i must be cautious he said to himself and do by my wits what i cannot do by my strength he climbed down from his seat on ghostwhip's back and tethered the good steed to a tree and walked on looking well about him till he came to a little cottage on the edge of a wood the door was not locked so he entered and found its occupant an old woman fast asleep in her bed he did not disturb her but he took down an iron pot from the shelf and examined it closely this will serve my purpose he said and surely the old dame would not grudge if she knew twas to save the princess's life then he lifted a live peat from the smouldering fire and went his way down at the water's edge he found the king's boat lying guarded by a single boatman with its sails set and its prow turned in the direction of the mester storeworm it's a cold morning said assapaddle art thou not well nigh frozen sitting there if thou wilt come on shore and run about and warm thyself i will get into the boat and guard it till thou returnest a likely story replied the man and what would the king say if he were to come as i expect every moment he will do and find me playing myself on the sand and his good boat left to a smatch it like thee twould be as much as my head is worth as thou wilt answered assapaddle carelessly beginning to search among the rocks in the meantime i must be looking for a ween mussels to roast for my breakfast and after he had gathered the mussels he began to make a hole in the sand to put the live peat in the boatman watched him curiously for he too was beginning to feel hungry presently the lad gave a wild shriek and jumped high in the air gold gold he cried by the name of thor who would have looked to find gold here this was too much for the boatman forgetting all about his head and the king he jumped out of the boat and pushing assapaddle aside began to scrape among the sand with all his might while he was doing so assapaddle seized his pot jumped into the boat pushed her off and was half a mile out to sea before the outwitted man who needless to say could find no gold noticed what he was about and of course he was very angry and the old king was more angry still when he came down to the shore attended by his nobles and carrying the great sword sicker snapper in the vain hope that he poor feeble old man that he was might be able in some way to defeat the monster and save his daughter but to make such an attempt was beyond his power now that his boat was gone so he could only stand on the shore along with the fast assembling crowd of his subjects and watch what would befall and this is what befell assapaddle sailing slowly over the sea and watching the mester storeworm intently noticed that the terrible monster yawned occasionally as if longing for his weekly feast and as it yawned a great flood of sea-water went down its throat and came out again at its huge gills so the brave lad took down his sail and pointed the prow of his boat straight at the monster's mouth and the next time it yawned he and his boat were sucked right in 
and like jonah went straight down its throat into the dark regions inside its body on and on the boat floated but as it went the water grew less pouring out of the storeworm's gills till at last it stuck as it were on dry land and assapaddle jumped out his pot in his hand and began to explore presently he came to the huge creature's liver and having heard that the liver of a fish is full of oil he made a hole in it and put in the live peat woe's me but there was a conflagration and assapaddle just got back to his boat in time for the mester storeworm in its convulsions threw the boat right out of its mouth again and it was flung up high and dry on the bare land the commotion in the sea was so terrible that the king and his daughter who by this time had come down to the shore dressed like a bride in white ready to be thrown to the monster and all his courtiers and all the country folk were fain to take refuge on the hilltop out of harm's way and stand and see what happened next and this is what happened next the poor distressed creature for it was now to be pitied even though it was a great cruel awful mester storeworm tossed itself to and fro twisting and writhing and as it tossed its awful head out of the water its tongue fell out and struck the earth with such force that it made a great dent in it into which the sea rushed and that dent formed the crooked straits which now divide denmark from norway and sweden then some of its teeth fell out and rested in the sea and became the islands that we now call the orkney isles and a little afterwards some more teeth dropped out and they became what we now call the shetland isles after that the creature twisted itself into a great lump and died and this lump became the island of iceland and the fire which assapaddle had kindled with his live peat still burns on underneath it and that is why there are mountains which throw out fire in that chilly land when at last it was plainly seen that the mester storeworm was dead the king could scarce contain himself with joy he put his arms round assapaddle's neck and kissed him and called him his son and he took off his own royal mantle and put it on the lad and girded his good sword sicker snapper round his waist and he called his daughter the princess gem de lovely to him and put her hand in his and declared that when the right time came she should be his wife and that he should be ruler over all the kingdom then the whole company mounted their horses again and assapaddle rode on go swift by the princess's side and so they returned with great joy to the king's palace but as they were nearing the gate assapaddle's sister she who was the princess's maid ran out to meet him and signed to the princess to lout down and whispered something in her ear the princess's face grew dark and she turned her horse's head and rode back to where her father was with his nobles she told him the words that the maiden had spoken and when he heard them his face too grew as black as thunder for the matter was this the cruel queen full of joy at the thought that she was to be rid once for all of her stepdaughter had been making love to the wicked sorcerer all the morning in the old king's absence he shall be killed at once cried the monarch such behaviour cannot be overlooked thou wilt have much ado to find him your majesty said the girl 
for tis more than an hour since he and the queen fled together on the fleetest horses that they could find in the stables but i can find him cried assapaddle and he went off like the wind on his good horse go swift it was not long before he came within sight of the fugitives and he drew his sword and shouted to them to stop they heard the shout and turned round and they both laughed aloud in derision when they saw that it was only the boy who groveled in the ashes who pursued them the insolent brat i will cut off his head for him i will teach him a lesson cried the sorcerer and he rolled boldly back to meet assapaddle for although he was no fighter he knew that no ordinary weapon could harm his enchanted body therefore he was not afraid but he did not count on assapaddle having the sword of the great god odin with which he had slain all his enemies and before this magic weapon he was powerless and at one thrust the young lad ran it through his body as easily as if he had been any ordinary man and he fell from his horse dead then the courtiers of the king who had also set off in pursuit but whose steeds were less fleet of foot than go swift came up and seized the bridle of the queen's horse and led it and its rider back to the palace she was brought before the council and judged and condemned to be shut up in a high tower for the remainder of her life which thing surely came to pass as for assapaddle when the proper time came he was married to the princess gem de lovely with great feasting and rejoicing and when the old king died they ruled the kingdom for many a long year end of chapter twenty three